Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello. Welcome back to the show and welcome if this is your first time listening. My heart is just bursting for all of the people that I'm getting to meet through this podcast, all of you who are listening, all of the guests that are coming on. This is just such a an awesome way to build community and I I'm just so grateful that you're here. Thank you so much for for sharing your time with us today for just being with us in this conversation, uh, they're raw, they're vulnerable, they are, they're full of truth and heart, and it means a lot that you participate in the dialogue that we are committed to having in helping women heal their relationships with their bodies and food and life. So with that being said, I am just so stoked to share my guest with you today, Renee Reese. She is awesome. She is a friend and a colleague and somebody that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. We finally made it happen. Let me tell you a little bit about Renee before I gush on why I love this conversation so much. Renee is a transformational writer, speaker, teacher, worthiness queen, and an innovator in the personal development industry. She's also an attorney, certified success coach, NLP practitioner, time techniques practitioner, and hypnotherapist. She is also a dynamic in-demand speaker, and audiences love her for her practical application and takeaways, transparency, and relatability. Truth bomb. This is why you're going to love this conversation so much. She drops so much honesty and her personal body image story is really, really powerful. She talks about her relationship with food, her body, uh, what that looked like growing up. I do want to add a trigger warning to this particular conversation. We do get into a, a bit of dialogue around sexual trauma and eating disorders. If this is something that you are experiencing right now in terms of healing, or if it's close to home in any capacity in your life, please be respectful of where you're at in whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. I've said this before in previous conversations that I've had on this podcast, but this is always available to come back to if you're not ready to listen to something like this. Um, And if you are also take care of yourself as well too. I want to make sure that I'm I'm really speaking intentionally when I'm introducing some of these harder conversations. But that being said, if you're comfortable sticking with, with us through this conversation, it's really powerful. This is one of the most encouraging stories of transformation that I've had on the podcast to date. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Renee, Renee on is because she speaks specifically about our relationship with money. And this is what she coaches on to in her business. And one of the things that I have been so fascinated by 
in my own personal healing experience in coaching clients in personal development and continuing to learn about this is just the relationship that we have with money as it relates to our relationship with our bodies. And so we talk specifically about that. We talk about money anxiety, how to get past that deep-rooted fear of feeling worthy to have money, whether you have a lot or you don't have a lot right now. Really, this is a relationship and it shows up at many, many different stages uh, in life. And so we really speak into that. Renee also gives some practical tips about how to shift your money mindset. And like I just shared in her bio, this is her zone of genius, really just being transparent about that conversation with finance, wealth, financial abundance, money mindset, all of these things, and speaking in a way where you can actually walk away from this conversation and feel like you have action items to put into place to get results. One thing I want to mention before we dive in, we did not get a chance to do the questions at the end. I actually stopped recording and I realized it afterwards. It was a little bit longer of a conversation because it was so juicy and just packed full of information as well as just her story. But we will follow up whether it's on my Instagram or an email that I send out. So just make sure you're connected with, with me on those platforms. Um, and I'll keep you updated when we do do the questions for Renee. But one final takeaway that I want to share before we hop into the conversation is Renee also has a fantastic series going on right now. This is also why I wanted to release this episode at the time being. Uh, this is a worthy and wealthy interview series that is specifically for women of color and allies who want to make money be fully expressed and revolutionize the coaching world. You guys, this is such a freaking epic series. I can't believe the guests that Renee have gotten to come on and talk to her and just share their insights, share their expertise. It's totally free. If you click the link in the show notes, you'll find a link to sign up for this. It is going on now. There is a period where you'll be able to view all of the recordings though. So make sure you sign up for that. And stick around to the end of our conversation because Renee also shares about the upcoming experience at the end of October that she is launching that is all about money mindset, uh, bringing on some of her past clients, really just sharing her zone of genius and her expertise with this specific event that she's hosting and how to actually step into that as well. Uh, I think that's it. I, there's so much that I want to say. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait for you to meet Renee. I love Renee. Connect with her on Instagram. Connect with her on all of the, the platforms in case you're not on Instagram. And enjoy this conversation. Miss Renee Reese. Love, I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I am geeking out because I can't wait to hear your body image story. And I'm just always so grateful for these conversations. And I also just have so many questions about what you do. And I just, I know this is going to be a powerful conversation. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into it since we have so much to cover. Um, let's start with your body awareness moment. If you wouldn't mind sharing 
that first moment that you realized I'm in a body and this means something in the culture that I live in, good, bad, indifferent? Yeah, so two memories really pop into my mind. Um, I know you said one, but I'm just gonna <laughs> talk sure. about The first one, I was nine and I was in fifth grade. And one of my best friends, she, and we're actually still best friends to this day, but she, you know, had boobs before the rest of us. And I just remember going home and being like, oh my gosh, like, why don't I have boobs yet? Like, I'll, you know, like this will just like enhance me so much more. Like my body will look so amazing. I'll look so great. And just like, I just remember looking in the mirror, like, why aren't they here? Like, I don't understand. Um, and just having like a little frustrating moment. It wasn't too, like, it wasn't too dramatic, but it was just a, a little frustrating moment. Like I realized, you know, my best friend has something that I don't, and that suddenly I really, really want. Um, the second moment, so that was in fifth grade. The second moment was in sixth grade. And suddenly now, now I, started developing and had boobs and I also this was the first time I went to school with um white kids I like all of my schools before that were just um black and brown kids pretty much and now for the first time I was a minority and um I started developing and suddenly um there was a rumor about me that I was stuffing my bra and, um, <laughs> oh my God, I know. <laughs> and I was just so mortified and just so frustrated because, you know, if it's like, if you're going to talk about me, like say something that's true, <laughs> you know, like, I don't like, I don't like rumors because I'm like, if you're going to like say something mean about me, let it be a fact. Yeah. And I was just so frustrated. And then on the flip side, I remember my friends, um, a couple of my friends, like, saying stuff about my body. Like, um, I remember one girl, she was like, are you – so I had started to, to, to develop, and a lot of girls in our class hadn't yet, and I was new to the school. Um, I remember one, one girl saying, like, are you even wearing a bra right now? Mm -hmm. And, like, just, like <laughs> – I just remember feeling so much shame, like, oh my goodness, like, this is something's wrong with my body. Like, I do have a bra and like, maybe this is not right. And, you know, just all these questions because I don't know, one minute I'm stuffing my bra, the next minute I, I'm not wearing my bra properly or whatever, um, all of the shame. And at the same time, I mentioned this is the first time I'm going to school with white kids. Mm -hmm. Same time. Um, I was dealing with kids like touching my hair and like not in a mean way, but just in a like uh, your hair is different from our hair and like, mm. you know, no one really had any boundaries. Like they would just like touch my hair and be like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting or this is so weird or this is so whatever. And I guess it was for, that was the first time that I really felt other. Mm. Um, I'm, so I'm in my body, all these things are happening to my body. I'm comparing myself to my best friend one year. The next year, girls are comparing themselves to me and like saying untrue things about me. And at the same time, I'm feeling really, really other in my body. Um, 
yeah, that was probably like the first sense of awareness. God. Um, I, I'm curious. Well, actually, I, I have to comment. I think it's interesting that your first body awareness moment in fifth grade, you mentioned, was this desire to have boobs. And then the second was the commentary that everybody felt like your boobs were fake when you had done all of this work manifesting these amazing boobs. <laughs> so how ironic, right? Right. I'm like one second, I'm comparing myself to my best friend. And the next minute I'm like, okay, well not the next minute, the next year I'm like, okay, I finally got them. Like, this is great. This is amazing. And now people are talking about me and now I'm in the spotlight in a negative way. And now I wish I didn't have them because, you know, people are just talking about me and now I'm on display in a way that I don't want to be. Yeah. The feeling of being on display, especially in a school environment where, like you mentioned, it's like culturally new and there's just a lot of change going on at once. I, I'm curious when you were receiving that commentary was was it mostly from uh, from friends? Was it from white kids, uh, black kids, brown kids? What what was the demographic that was kind of ganging up on you at that point? Yeah, so I was one of the only black kids in my class. Um, there were a couple wow. of us. So I was, I think there was maybe two or three of us, let's say three. Um, so yeah, it was white girls that I, like, that I was friends with, that I considered friends at the time. So yeah, it was only white kids. Mm. Where did you grow up? Um, in New York. So I am originally from Harlem. Um, so that's uh, the demographic when I was growing up was mainly black and brown. So that's who I went to school with. And then, um, me and my mom, we moved to Long Island and, um, even, in my first school in Long Island, it was still just black and brown kids. And then I went to, starting in sixth grade, I went to private school, um, Catholic school. And mm. that's where um, I, that's where I was, started to become the minority. So the, your social circle then going to a private Catholic school and being one of, if not the only black kids in, in your classroom, each year, were your friends mostly white outside of school as well too? Or did you feel like you kind of had a different, a different social circle at school versus outside of school? What did that look like? And, and also, how did your friendships impact your body and your relationship with your body at that time? Yeah, so definitely. Um, uh, my social circle outside of school was definitely Black. Um, so kids in my neighborhood, kids at the church I grew up, um, my family, everyone was Black. The only time I was interacting with white kids was at school. So it was just, a, it was completely, <laughs> totally different experience for me. And I feel like my friends impacting my body image at the time um, Honestly, I feel like I was very confused just because I think the standards in the Black community and in other communities is just very different than white kids growing up. Like, we just all had, it just sounded, to me, I interpret it as we all had different standards of what's acceptable, what's pretty, what's beautiful. Um, even just growing up past then, I just remember in high school, 
same thing. I was one of the um, one of the fewer black kids, and I just remember, you know, some of my white friends would be like, "Oh my gosh, my thighs," or like, "Oh my gosh, like this this thing," and, and they would be like really small, um, uh, slender girls, and we'd be like, like me and the other black girls would be like, oh my gosh, like, no, like your ass is amazing. Your thighs are like amazing. Like this is all beautiful. And they would have like this, no, like, no, 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 no. Like I have to be as thin as possible. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I, and I struggled with it too, but just in a different sense, I feel like, yeah, part of me was like, I need to be skinnier, but like these parts of my body's these parts of my body's sorry, these parts of my body are acceptable and these parts of my body um, are not acceptable. And I started to break it down that kind of way. That has to be so incredibly frustrating and confusing. I mean, it's already it's already confusing enough just going through middle school and high school and just going through puberty and your body changing. Um, it, for anybody, right? Just because that's such a pivotal moment where you're just changing rapidly. But to be in these two different environments where you're having completely different expectations and, you know, what you said before of just feeling like you were other and also trying to just find your voice within these beauty standards on on opposite sides. How did you handle that, Renee? What what were some of the ways that you were coping at that time and and really finding your voice with your body and and feeling comfortable in your body or or not rather i mean what did that discomfort look like if if that was the case you know what um <laughs> it's about to get a whole lot more interesting um so yeah around that same time um or maybe like a year or two after. Um, but yeah, definitely in that same time frame. Um, I, I don't know if I told you, Keelan, but I started being sexually abused. Um, I was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. So right around, so I think that was sixth grade. So right around the end of sixth grade, seventh grade, that's when that started happening. And obviously it got a lot more confusing. <laughs> so I, um, you know, I was in that place where, oh my gosh, this is my body. And I'm starting to like become aware that I have a body. And then suddenly, you know, my body is being used in a abusive way. And that was really confusing um, for obvious reasons, but it's suddenly like my body wasn't my own or like, I just didn't have that sovereignty over my body. And you know, I was a child, so I didn't really understand what, um, what sex was or like what anything leading up to sex, like I didn't, you know, I just didn't know, like I learned a couple of things in health class, but I just, you know, like (laughs) I was a child, so I didn't, you know, I had no experience and I had no, like, I just didn't know what was happening and I'm going to date myself because this is going to sound so old. Um, we didn't have Google, I don't think back then. So I remember, um, I had to go, I remember I came home one day and I went to like, you know how on AOL we had like chat rooms and like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I, I, I couldn't talk to any of the adults in my life or I felt like I couldn't. So 
I was just like, I have to figure out what's happening. And I found some stranger online and I basically asked them, like kind of asked them like what was happening to me, like what, what was happening to me, sex or something different or like what it was. So I had to just like, like I was trying to pick, push together like what I learned in health class and like what was happening to me and just like figure it out. And I just kind of asked someone online, like, what is this? Like what's going on? And obviously it was just a very confusing time. And around that same time as well, I think that's when I started to exercise a lot. Like Mm -hmm. I became very, very conscious of my body and very, very, I just remember like (laughs) being on the treadmill and being like, oh my gosh, I have to burn this amount of calories and I have to like do this. And I became, that's when I remember the obsession kind of started with my body. Mm. How old were you? Um, When on the treadmill? On the treadmill, when you were in the chat rooms, like when, when was this happening? So this was around 10, 11, 10, 11, 12, definitely on the treadmill. So like all, all between 10 and 12. So middle school. Yeah. Middle school. Yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry, love. And it, thank you for sharing that. Um, I also think that it's so, uh, it's such an interesting part of your story, just having to navigate that with the resources that you had um, and the confusion around that as well, too. I, I can definitely relate in my own way, you know, struggling, struggling with an eating disorder in middle school and also doing uh, like Wikipedia searches and just, Mm -hmm. just random ways to, you know, books in the library and, and, this sense of feeling like, am I the only one? Like, is this, what is this? Is this normal? How do I identify this? And, and what's, what's happening? Were you able to tell your friends at at all? Or is this something that you kept to yourself when you were going through that time period or even in high school? I think I, I think I tried to tell a couple of my friends, but I, didn't have the words to be like, hey, like I'm being sexually abused. You know, I couldn't be like, you know, I didn't have that language. I just knew that this older person was doing these things and like I was uncomfortable with it. But I didn't know like, hey, this is sexual abuse. And because it was someone who's like a family friend and like I'm very, or I was very close with that person's family and my family was close to their family too. I just, I didn't want to get anyone in trouble and I didn't want to, I didn't want to get in trouble. I thought for some reason that I would be in trouble. So I mostly kept it to myself or like I would tell my friends like, yeah, I I didn't say those words. I would, I would say like, yeah, I was spending time with so-and-so, but no one, like no one, like my friends didn't know what that was either. So like, you know, we were all 10, 11, 12. Um, so no one really knew what to do or what to say or how to help me or that I even needed help. So yeah, it was tough. It sounds like the one theme that I'm picking up the most on from your story so far is just boundaries and how they're being violated left and right and not having the language to actually put those boundaries into place for yourself and whether that's somebody commenting on your body or the sexual abuse or um, just the 
the conversations that you mentioned you were having with, with friends and things like that. So how did you, how did you eventually find that peace with your body and begin developing a, just a sense of self and a sense of your own uniqueness in your body and that confidence in your body? Because that's one of the things that I love about you so much now, Renee, you just have this like contagious, contagious glow and this confidence that radiates. And, and so what does that look like in your journey and, and how did you actually get there? Yeah. Um, (laughs) thank you so much actually for those kind words. That means so much to me. Um, well, I mean, it got a lot worse before it got better, (laughs) to be honest. Um, in high school, I, you know, developed eating disorders, um, bulimic and, I was dealing with anorexia for a little bit in college and and bulimia as well. So I really didn't have a relationship with my body for a long time. I neglected, ignored, and used my body as a tool for attention or affection or whatever. I just kind of ignored my body. And um, it felt like I was at war with my body for a very, very, very long time, like well into my 20s. I'm 31 now, but like very, like, very well into my 20s and it was always on my my new year's resolutions to be like you know lose 10 pounds or like lose 15 pounds or whatever it was and one year I think I was was towards the end of my 20s I was like I am so tired of being at war with my body I'm just (laughs) I've been fighting this fight since I was like 10 like I for so at that time it had been like 15 years and I'm like I can't fight with my body anymore I had tried I felt like I tried everything I remember oh I remember what sparked this I was on a diet and um (laughs) or I was on like a health plan or something and during week one all you had like all you could eat was salmon seven days a week meal one meal two meal three was salmon just a piece of salmon oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I, I feel like um everybody would probably know that you were eating salmon around you oh my gosh it was the worst thing <laughs> you probably smelled like a salmon <laughs> And I can say that because I have done ridiculously crazy things like that with food too, where people have been like, what are you eating? (laughs) Yeah, after that, honestly, it was just, after that, I I honestly couldn't eat salmon for a while because, ew. Oh my God. But after that, I was like, this is crazy. This, this is, this is insane. Like something is something is wrong here that I'm eating salmon seven days a week. And I remember just feeling in my soul, like, this isn't the right way to do this. Like there is a healthier way. There is a way that connects to my body. Um, there's a way that connects to my soul. There's a way that feels, there, there just has to be a different way. Like there's going to be a different way um, to do this. So I remember I just had that resolve, like, okay, I'm going to stop fighting my body for once in my life and just figure this thing out. So I feel like that was the last, I was going to say that was the last diet I was on. That's not true. I did whole 30. Mm. Um, <laughs> but that was like the last, I don't, okay. That was like the second to last diet, I guess. Um, and then I tried whole 30 and I remember being on whole 30 and I was 
I kept binge eating, um, and, and it was stuff in the plan, but it was just like, I shouldn't be binge eating these Lara bars. Like, this is just uh-huh. this, like, really intense Like I, that I have this desire to binge eat all the time. And I'm like, okay. So then after that, I was like, okay, no more restriction. Let's figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. So then, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. I'm just like entranced by your story. It, and I love that. Uh, I love the light bulb moment there. Like something has to change for real this time. Yeah, for sure. And then <laughs> um, I always felt like I, I'd gotten to the point where I, you know, hit my goal weight and like, I thought my body was, I, I don't, I don't want to say great, but I was somewhat happy. Um, even though I wasn't totally happy, I was still kind of in the flux of like, oh, this could be better. This should be better. I should be look better this way or whatever. Um, I finally hit that point and then, um, I actually, one year I woke up, um, it was like January 2nd and I kept having panic attacks. Mm. Um, so I was, you know, I had come out of this deep depression and, you know, things were starting to look up and, um, suddenly I was having panic attacks all the time. Um, so I was in therapy and trying to figure that out. And then I also went on anti-anxiety meds Mm -hmm. and, the meds made me gain a lot of weight. Um, I gained like close, like 40 or 50 pounds. Like I gained a lot of weight, over 30 pounds. And I was, that's when I, like, that's when (laughs) things really hit the fan where I was like, okay, like, what are you going to do? Because, you know, you said you're not going to diet anymore. Um, what's going to happen? And that is when I really, um, learn to connect with myself in a deeper way. And there was, you know, other stuff going on in my life at the same time, but I really started learning how to choose myself and how to um, be okay, like with where my body is and who I am and not feeling like I have to change something about myself all the time and not feeling like just letting my body be instead of being like, okay, like you have to, you know, eat a certain way or you have to move your body in this certain way or you have to you have to do anything I finally was like I'm just gonna let my body just be and even though I feel so out of control right now it feels like I'm gaining all this weight and all this stuff is happening I'm just going to let my body be and that's how it really just that's how I started really to come into my own power um I just deepened my relationship with myself and I really started um, choosing myself and, and helping myself feel worthy of care and worthy of love and worthy of support and worthy of feeling good without um, demonizing myself every second of every day of, for my body or for where I was in my career or where I was in my love life. Um, I just stopped. I just stopped being at war with myself. I was so over it. Yeah, that permission is so important, that, that personal permission to just be um i'm curious when you had that when you had that recognition for yourself and and that permission what what else changed in your life what else shifted to put you in a place where you felt supported um i know that you mentioned relationships and uh what was happening like in relationships and at home and with money and just, I know you mentioned a therapist and, and all of these things, what are the things that stand out to you in your memory that really were those tools that helped you transition into a healthier place with your body? 
Yeah. So a lot of stuff was happening. Um, I had lost um, my job. Um, and around the same time I started to become an entrepreneur. Um, and then I had a hard breakup, which was difficult. And I was just in that transition, like a, just a deep transition in every area of my life. So some of the tools I started doing, I mentioned, I told myself that I was going to choose myself and like what that looked like. So I came out of this breakup and I'm like, okay, Renee, you're really upset. You're really heartbroken. Um, it's time to like focus on yourself. And it's, and my first business was really young at the time. I was only a couple months into my first business and I was like, okay, what does it look like to choose yourself? And I was like, okay, well, if I'm choosing myself, I know what I like. So I started just taking small moments and just figuring out what I liked. So I would just be like, okay, it's raining. I really like the sound of rain or I really like the sound of those birds. I really like the sound of the wind outside. I really like the smell of my coffee. I really like the smell of this candle. Just like, and I would write it down, <laughs> I would literally write it down. Um, like this is, th these are the things that I like. These are things that are important to me. I started to meditate. Um, I had done, you know, I, I would try to meditate. I think in earlier years, I would take like a minute or two minutes to myself to really just hear myself. Um, but I started meditating for longer. Um, I started, I had always journaled, but I really started getting my thoughts on paper and I started journaling, journaling a lot. Um, this is also around the time when I began my morning practice yeah. where I would think about what I want, what my vision was. Um, and I would focus on my vision. I would visualize every morning, um, where I wanted to be. And also like I made practical decisions. So people in my life who were just not supportive or I just didn't like the way I felt when I was with them, I either realized like something I needed to change about that relationship and, you know, whether it was a tough conversation or um, a, instilling a boundary mm -hmm. or, you know, leaving the relationship depending on what it was. Um, what else did I do? I started traveling um, by myself, mm -hmm. which is I always wanted to do and yeah I, I really just took the time to figure out what my life what I wanted my life to be um, and I started just cultivating that relationship with myself what like who who even am I I was like who am, even am I what do I want in life what wow. am I here for what is my purpose and how can I bring that energy into every single day of my life yes 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 it it's it's one of those parts in in this journey, like this life journey, essentially, when we have this disordered relationship with food in our bodies, it just takes up so much space in our life. It's, it's almost impossible to have attention in all of these other areas that you just mentioned. And so that's, that's so powerful, you sharing that. And it really just sounds like you gave yourself that permission to expand and to really get clear on your true identity that was outside of just what you were eating and, and what your body size was and, and what you looked like and, and all of those things. Um, I'm so curious about the next step. I feel like I have to ask a couple of other questions about everything that you just shared though. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. If we kind of go back, this just keeps coming to my mind. And so it, it usually is a sign that it, I need to ask it. So mm -hmm. 
I feel like we can't glance over the fact that you mentioned you struggled with bulimia and anorexia through college and in high school as well too. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm really curious about is, first of all, is that something that you were struggling with completely on your own? Were you telling anybody? And also, what does that look like in in your group of friends at that time? Because I know that you mentioned you had your white friends at school and then outside of school, you had your black and brown friends. And so already being confused with everything that we had mentioned before and now having this eating disorder, I'm just curious how that, how that looked in different social circles. Did you know anybody who was struggling with similar things in either circle or in both circles? What, what did it look like for you at that time? Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) So many things I want to say. Just even hearing you ask that question, it just reminds me at the time, I guess I didn't know this at the time, but it really felt like maybe subconsciously like anorexia and bulimia, like struggling with eating disorders, like that's a white girl's thing. Like that's, you know, like that's not something. Yeah. That's why I asked because I feel like it it is like stereotypically like a white middle class like uh, problem. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was like, I <laughs> this is not something that I can definitely in high school I didn't tell anyone because it, like I you know as I mentioned, I had already so much on my plate, you know, like there was just so much happening. I had, you know, other stuff happening at home. And I mentioned the sexual abuse that was happening outside of the home. Like there was already so much going on. I was already like just struggling as a teenager. Like I was self-harming in other ways at some point. There was just so much going on. So I I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone in general. So adding this like to me, like this seemingly random piece of like, great, and now I have an eating disorder. Like it just did it. Yeah, it was very much a white girl thing. I couldn't, yeah, I just could not identify um, with that at all. Um, And, you know, I really didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. And then in college, I remember telling, I told my boyfriend at the time, he knew. And then my roommate also knew. And (laughs) my roommate was also black. And, um, I, she was a psych major and I freaked her out. Like I freaked her out. Um, she was like, I don't like, I just don't know how to help you. And like, it, she, she had this crisis. She was like, I don't know if I can't help you. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be a psych major. How can I help people in the future? Like she had a whole crisis. Oh, man. Yeah. So it really felt like I, again, and this is actually like a major theme in my life, just feeling very alone and feeling isolated and feeling a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't really feel like I can talk about it. And then after I kind of stopped um, that, I was still struggling with binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's not something that a lot of people understand or know right. or get. Um, so that like, if I, I remember trying to talk to one of my friends about it and she kind of just brushed it off and like made a joke about it um, because, you know, not a lot of people understand what that is. Like they just think it's eating a lot or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I could talk to anyone and it definitely added an extra layer of shame dealing with something that was, you know, typically seen as a white girl problem. Yeah, I I really want to open up the conversation around this more. And I'm curious if, if since then, since that part in your life um, and overcoming the eating disorders, if you've 
connected with anybody in the black or brown community who's also struggled with that um, and how your perspective on on these eating disorders have have possibly changed versus just the stereotype of it? You know what? Um, so not so much now, but when I was still really struggling with it, that's all I followed on Instagram were <laughs> black and brown educators um, who were who were talking about this because it just it meant so much to me. I think, yeah. and it's funny now being a business owner and someone who's you know a coach and on Instagram myself. Um, at the time, I was just you know I was just a regular lawyer, just you know out in the world and and just struggling. So I would just I, I started cultivating my feed um curating my feed on uh, with people whose bodies look like mine um like their sizes and their um skin tone and their hair and it I feel like it made the world <laughs> of a difference for me just because you know I, I felt like okay I'm not alone there are people who are out here talking about what I'm talking about and it, it was honestly very healing to see uh other people who look like me um, talking awesome. yeah that is such a powerful exercise I'm really glad that you mentioned that and I'm so I'm so glad that it was helpful for you just curating your feed to visualize those uh, bodies and demographics that are similar to our own I mean that's one of the that's one of the um, best ways that we can begin this work if we're going through it on our own and so that's incredible and it's also worth mentioning that there's just so much to be said about social media right now. And there's, there's so many negatives in in that, but what a powerful way to feel connected and to feel less isolated, um, through, through social media. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, even just talking about this now just reminds me just for all the coaches in the world, like it, it, it really does make a difference, the work that we do, um, whether it's in food and body or money or business or whatever. It's it's just so important that we're out there. And, you know, these people, I don't think I even interacted with these people that much, but they were, you know, uh, pivotal in changing my life and, and helping me change my body image. So, yeah, I think the power of social media can be used for good. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so what's next in your journey? We're having all of this, this healing and this confidence and just this new sense of self in, in your life. Um, how did that pivot into the work that you do now? Man. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I call myself the worthiness queen and, I think healing from all of those things, um, healing from hating my body, um, healing from, you know, sexual abuse and other abuses in my life and other um, traumas in my life and uh, being able to stand and recognize who I am and, and have this identity. Um, it's just been life altering. Um, and I really feel like the worthiness queen it's the work of my life. So I, I feel like I know more than most what feeling unworthy looks like and what being, you know, not confident and having low self-esteem and the choices you make because of that. Um, I know more than most. And I know that 
how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about the world around us. Like that's really going to shape our lives in unimaginable ways. So for me to do this work, I, um, it's, it's, it's honestly, I'm, it's just an honor. Um, so I help leaders and entrepreneurs heal their relationship with money, success, and worthiness. And, um, honestly, it's so funny, the links to healing my relationship with money and healing my relationship with my body is just, they're so similar. I feel like the way people use food and their body to, um, obsess over something or make them feel good about something. It's the same thing. Like a lot of times with entrepreneurs, they're wanting to hit that next income goal or they're wanting to get to a certain place of their business so that they can feel safe so that Mm. they can feel um, successful so that they can feel like they made it or whatever. Um, So they can feel abundant so they can have that sense of security so that they can, all these like emotional things um, really show up in our money. And if we're struggling with like shame, um, with guilt, with um, fear, food, body, money, all those things are just giving our our guilt a place to go. It's not like the guilt went away. It's like <laughs> you have this guilt that you're struggling with. Maybe something happened with your when you were a kid, and you have that internal sense of guilt, that internal sense of shame. And now you're, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you're making money and now, or you're not making as much money as you want to. Now your shame has a place to go. And maybe you, you know, overcame your body issues and you don't feel ashamed of your body, but you're now feeling ashamed of somewhere else in your life. So it's very similar. All those emotions, when we can cultivate a sense of safety, a sense of abundance, a sense of connection, then that's when those issues start to fade away because you're just, you're just looking, you're just grasping at something to feel like fill those holes in your heart. And when you're able to fill those holes on your own when you're able, or with support, you're able to fill those holes, then suddenly your relationship with money becomes fun. And I think it's funny because with food and with money more than anything else, these are things that we need to live and survive, right? Almost anything else, you know, we don't really need like, yes, we need human connection, but you don't need a relationship to live, right? But you need food to like actually sustain yourself um, and, and, and keep yourself alive and money, like you need at least some money to pay for something, um, your housing, your, your um, phone bill or whatever, um, it's so these are things like you can't go cold turkey on, you know, like you can't just say, I'm not eating food anymore. Like my relationship is so messy. So I'm just not eating anymore, or I'm just not going to spend money anymore at all ever. You know, like you have to navigate that relationship. It's not a, um, a cold turkey situation at all. Um, but I think it's so beautiful when you recognize that it's about the emotions underneath and what we're making this stuff mean, um, whether it's food or money, which are neutral things, um, that's when, you know, your power comes in and you can figure that out. Yeah. God, that's so good. And something that just really resonated when you were saying that, and I could just feel the emotion as you were saying that, but it really is the basic needs of life. And just on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those really fundamental foundational basic needs being met, um, 
to survive, right? And so it makes sense that there's so much emotion tied up in this. Um, but there's also so much opportunity for for healing those deeper emotional wounds that you're talking about as well, too. I have so many questions around this. I have, <laughs> I am, I love that you brought up the parallel between food and money. It's, it's a conversation that I've been wanting to have, um, had to talk a lot about recently. And so I'm glad that we're going to, I'm also curious before we dive full, full on in, what did your relationship with money look like while you were struggling with food and your body? Oh my goodness. Um, I guess I didn't really notice my relationship with money at the time because food was so prevalent. Um, but it was just messy. Like I feel like I felt really helpless around finances and just around retirement. And, you know, I had just, uh, before I became an entrepreneur, I just had this like regular check, a regular income coming in, um, that I knew what was going, like I knew what it was going to be. So I just kind of accepted it. I, I didn't like think about, I just accepted like, okay, I'm going to be in student loan debt forever. And mm. I'm gonna, you know, like I just, this is the way society is set up. Like, this is just the way it is. This is the way my life is. Um, and then when I became an entrepreneur, things just got so messy. Like I just wasn't man, like I had a six figure business and I just wasn't managing anything correctly. I don't know if I told you the story, but when I was in Bali, I, um, there was a mix up with my, with my visa and I, actually ended up owing the uh the indonesian government like almost a thousand dollars um in u.s cash mm -hmm. and um i couldn't <laughs> like i didn't have a, a thousand like and i had to pay it in cash i couldn't put it on a credit card so i didn't have a thousand dollars oh my god to give them and you know like i had like i had a six-figure business i like i had clients coming in but and i just it was just a mess. Like I had no sense of safety. Like I was still like having some overdraft fees. I just had no control and no sense of what was happening in my finances at any point. Like money was coming in, money was coming out. I had no plan, no vision. Just, I was just spent, just spending whatever I wanted. And, and, and not that I don't, spend what I want now, but it's just in an aligned way. It was just kind of in a haphazard way before yeah. just kind of like, I guess I'll buy this and yeah, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to, and I racked up a bunch of stuff and, and credit cards and it was just a hot mess. So yeah. to answer your yeah. question, <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting too that you are candid about saying that you were a six figure coach really struggling financially. And there's just this really uh, misinterpreted idea that once you hit a certain income in your business, everything is just great. And the reality is we don't know. We never know what's going on behind closed doors. We never know what's going on behind the scenes um, with these relationships, whether it's money in this case, whether it's mental wellness, whether it's uh, your relationship with your partner, your body, food, all of these things. And so I think that this is a conversation that if you're not a business owner or if you're, if you are a business owner and you're caught up in the comparison game, it, it can feel like you're the only one struggling very similarly to our relationship with our bodies. And even you mentioning how alone you felt with your personal struggle and your eating disorder, what we just talked about. So, so many parallels here. How did you, 
how did you make the transition into a healthier relationship with money then? Yeah. So first I decided, right. First, um, after, you know, I was in Bali, um, I had to borrow money from friends and some money from my mom. And I was so scared that I was just going to be, and, and I had client money coming in. Um, but you know, strike takes a few days and all yeah. that stuff. So, and I also had to, long story, but I had to get to Singapore because I was going whatever. So I was going to Prague, but my flight was from Singapore to Prague. So I had just a few days to get to Singapore on time. Um, like I, I was worried that I was going to have to miss that flight. So they canceled my first flight. I had to buy a new flight to Singapore. Um, I was worried that I was going to miss all these flights and it was going to be a domino effect. And I was just going to be in Indonesia for the rest of my life. Oh my God. <laughs> so scared and I finally made it to Singapore but still at that time um I could only afford like this disgusting hotel like it was just like a motel it was like gross and I couldn't even it was to the point where I didn't want to sleep on the sheets I spread out some clothes and like slept on my clothes and I actually didn't even sleep I just laid down on my clothes and um I remember having the moment with myself like okay Renee this is this sucks and this will never happen to you again. You will never ever deal with this again. Um, you have to learn how to handle your money and create more money and create wealth from a place that's aligned and not, and I was also really burnt out at the time. So I was like, I don't want to be burnt out. I don't want to, like, I want to create aligned success. I don't know what that looks like, but I am damn sure I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so it was like this serious, it was a come to Jesus moment. It was like a very serious resolve. Like this is, this is, your life is going to change forever. You will never forget this moment. And so I, I decided and I started, you know, reading up on, I had always been into personal development because of, you know, I had to heal from, you know, the abuse and had to figure out the stuff with my body. So I always, you know, I had a strong foundation in that stuff. Um, and then I started reading more about um, how trauma affects the brain and the subconscious mind and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So in healing my relationship with my money, I first decided like, okay, this is a relationship. You know, I had always seen money as something that just kind of like a necessary evil, right? It just, you know, had to like, it just exists in the world. And I just have some or I don't. Um, like, I feel like I'm a victim to not having enough or... I'm just going to live in this haphazard way. And I said, no, no, no. Money is a relationship. So that means that I can either have a healthy um, relationship where it's sexy and fun and light, or I can have a relationship that's codependent, that's um, traumatic, that's um, negative, that's unhealthy. And I'm really going to start to treat money like a relationship, like a person, like I would treat my best friend or um, a romantic interest or whoever, I'm going to treat money like a relationship. And that's one of the first things that really changed it for me. That's awesome. So practically speaking, what did you do to move forward from that? Because I'm sure so many people are listening to this thinking, okay, if, if I want to change it, like, do I have to hire somebody to, I mean, they can hire you obviously, but like, do I hire a bookkeeper? Do I do a spreadsheet? Do I do a mantra? Do I do a meditation? Like what, what's the first action step that you feel like you took at 
after really deciding that something had to change? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I've had to think about what do I actually want? Um, what is my big vision? What is like, what do I want in my relationship with money? So do I want 20 K months, 30 K months? Like how much profit do I want? How much, like I thought about the life I wanted to live, Mm. you know, like what kind of apartment or house I wanted, what, you know, what I actually wanted to pay in my student loans, um, uh, how quickly I wanted to pay that off and, and like taking money to travel and all those like little things. I basically added that all up and decided, okay, this is the kind of life that I'm going to create. And so when I say, I started the relationship with money. I really had to sit down and really just started, I started looking at my bank statements, just like on a practical note, I was like, okay, what exactly is coming in? What exactly is going out? Mm. Um, so so it's a hard number. It's yeah, getting so really clear. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I started looking like, okay, like this is how much I'm making. And when I would see something come in, I would practice gratitude for it. Like, wow, I'm so happy that, you know, this client paid or this random income came in or whatever, just every little thing I started showing so much appreciation for it. I was like, Oh hell yes. Like, thank you. Like, I'm so happy that you're here. I love you money. You're amazing. And then um, anything that came out, like I got really serious about paying bills. So like any credit card company or any debt that I owed, even if I was paying $5 or whatever I was doing at that time, like even if it was just a little bit, I started putting the energy out there that I am going to pay this back or I'm going to start paying my bills on time or I mean, I was paying my bills on time, but just making sure that I knew when stuff was coming out and when stuff was coming in so that I could pay my bills on time all the time and that there wouldn't be any overdraft fees. Another thing that I did, um, probably one of the most important things, um, <laughs> or two things I want to, I want to talk about. Um, I started to look at my, um, my beliefs about money, right? Like what, what was my first uh, moment where I realized money existed in the world? Um, what did I think about money? What did my parents say about money? What, what, are, what were all these type of things that I felt about money? Um, and then when I started recognizing my beliefs, I realized like, okay, I can change these beliefs about money. And one of the things is I was not a generous person. Um, <laughs> I feel like with all the stuff I was going through as a kid, when it came to stuff, I love stuff, you know, like I felt like stuff was love for me, you know what I mean? So like, I never, like, I didn't like to share, <laughs> like, I didn't like to share anything. I was very just like, mine is mine. And not in like, I wasn't a complete asshole or anything, but just, I didn't like sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, Renee, like, you know, that if you want to be thinking about this next wealthy version of me, who is she? You know, what does she look like? What does she have? Like, what kind of person is she? Like, what is she doing for work? Just get tapping into my higher self and like figuring out who she was. Um, I, um, one of the things is she's generous. So I started, even if it was a dollar, like I would literally start giving, giving on GoFundMes or like just people asking for help. Like I, I really, and just in an aligned way, not in like, wasn't giving anyone my life savings, but just, you know, starting to act on the giving, just starting yeah. to 
build that muscle. And I think that's honestly, that's one of the quickest ways to grow your money because, you know, it's the law of circulation. Like any, I really believe that anything you give, you get back tenfold and really cultivating that belief and that generosity in it. And it shows money bringing it back to relationship. Like this is not a codependent toxic thing. Like I know you're coming back to me. So I, I know that you can walk out the door and I trust you to come back. Oh, then, yeah, totally. It, just like a relationship, right? Like if your partner leaves, you're not, I mean, hopefully if you're in a, in a healthy, loving relationship, you're not watching your partner walk out the door thinking, oh my God, I hope they come back. Right, exactly. And even like if your partner treated you that way, if as soon as you went out to work or something, your partner was like, oh my God, are you coming back? What's wrong with you? Please, like, I, I can't take you leaving ever again. You have to stay here. We would all be like, okay, this is, you know, this is not good. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, just like a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, uh, I think that is one of the most challenging and most impactful parts of healing our relationship with money. It makes a world of a difference, but to truly get to that place consistently, at least for myself, I will speak for myself. I'm curious if you felt this way too in your journey, but really getting to that place where you develop that trust and that lovingness towards money because in terms of just the basic needs being met, it's much easier to, to trust that somebody's going to come back into the door because that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, be on the street. And obviously there are so many different circumstances and situations to that example, but you know, your partner leaving the door for work is not, it's not the same as you being able to pay your electricity bill. Right. And so it's a different circulation, but it's a very similar concept that, that applies, um, in the same way, but I'm curious, does, does that resonate with you at all? Like, how did you move, move through that mindset shift of, yeah, but this is still like basic needs and the anxiety that might, might be creeping in eventually. Yeah. Such a beautiful question because it's like, okay, that all sounds great, but like how, (laughs) Yeah, how do I deal with that? And for me, like, that's the beauty of the work I do. Like, and I, I, the process I put my clients through is the same process that I put myself through. So really clear, like I clear all those emotions, like shame, guilt, fear, um, just because not to get too technical, but all of those emotions, you know, exist from a certain point in our life, like our first experience of fear, our first experience of shame. And once you learn or learn how to clear those out or have someone help you do that, um, then it just becomes, you feel lighter. Like then it just becomes fun. Right. Um, and, and dealing with the anxiety, one of the things that really helped me is I started tapping, um, doing EFT tapping to really help my nervous system. And during that time I was tapping a lot because it's just one of those things like, yes, you can tell yourself and you can, you know, do all the positive affirmations in the world and all that good stuff. But if you are, you know, if you still have that belief and you still have that, that sense of scarcity and that sense of real fear around what's happening and, and, you know, I don't want to be dismissive. Like this, this was very real and I felt it too. Like it's very real. But when you learn to manage those symptoms, like using EFT tapping uh, and other ways to soothe your nervous, nervous system, that's when it gets really, really good. Um, Mm. I also, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just said that's interesting. I love that tool. The EFT tapping. 
Yeah. And then just, I also help myself, um, think about new beliefs. So like, I don't know if I said this, but I'm a hypnotherapist. So like I start instilling those new beliefs in myself and really just take care of, um, my body and my nervous system around those new beliefs so that I'm able to hold the vision so that I'm able to, um, cultivate so I'm able to like just actually walk through it um I think taking care of yourself is so key like it's it can't just be affirmations you have to learn how to manage those symptoms so for me just to recap I know I said a lot (laughs) so for me I clear those beliefs out through through certain techniques that I have so like clearing your mindset and your energy around it um just really clearing that and then managing the symptoms through EFT or other self-care practices that you can use and then also cultivating that new vision that new belief and and allowing yourself to hold on to that yeah and also what you mentioned before about the tangible too just actually facing hey what what are the numbers and and not being afraid of that I think that's such a powerful piece of the puzzle as as well too um it's it's such a such a valuable method and structure and it's just crazy how similar all of this work is to body image work um yeah like textbook almost it it really and this is where getting support for for this area of life is so valuable so highly valuable because it's really challenging navigating all of this on our own and um and I know that you've gotten support through your shifts and everything I have as well too. And sometimes it's just really hard to see the forest through the trees when you're going through it. And, um, and so I, I think that that's important to mention as well too, not to say that you, you can't like bootstrap it on your own. I certainly did my share of that as well too, but mm-hmm. there comes that point in time where, having a hand to hold and and really getting that perspective on all of these things can be just so valuable in, in truly healing. Um, this really speaks to me, Renee. This is actually something I've, I don't think I've ever mentioned publicly before. Um, but when I was healing my relationship with food and, and body image, and obviously that's, that's a lifelong practice. I'm always, I'm very transparent about that. But when I really turned the corner on that, I brought this up in, in my therapy sessions, just that acknowledgement of I'm noticing the shame and the anxiety and the guilt showing up in my relationship with money. And just that chronic low grade fear of, am I going to be tossed on the street? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? Is something going to happen? And it's really crazy looking back at my relationship with money because I have always, I've always been supported and I've always been able to support it in that I've always, I've never been tossed on the street. Thankfully, thank God I've, I've always had enough. And there's just been so many moments in my life where I've just had this, this chronic fear and had been making significantly more money or less money. I mean, it really didn't matter. And so that's, that's also something that I, I wanted to just mention as well too. Like this really, this doesn't, this type of work doesn't 
have to be attached to a certain income bracket. It really, it can evolve in every different bracket within finances. And I'm sure you see that in your work. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like you're hitting the nail on the head. I feel like I say you can have a billion dollars in the bank and without that deep sense of worthiness, without clearing these beliefs and all that stuff that we mentioned, it's still going to feel like poverty. It's still going to feel like stressed out. It's still going to feel like burnout. It's still going to feel like something that you don't want. It's not going to feel like success until you feel like this deep sense of worthiness, until you feel like, until you create aligned success on your own terms and like figure out what that means to you. It's just going to feel like, okay, like I've made a billion dollars, but like (laughs) I have a billion dollars in expenses or what if, what if, you know, this next billion doesn't come through? It's more dollars isn't going to take away that scarcity. More dollars isn't going to take away that fear, that guilt, that shame. It has nothing to do with the money is especially, and I I think it, it ties into body in the same way. Like even though I hit my goal weight or whatever it was at the time, like I still was like, okay, what if I gain it all back? And what if, you know, like this area of my body doesn't improve and, you know, like I'm still not happy. And and it comes from that deep sense of worthiness and the deep sense of identity and knowing who you are and what you want and feeling that sense of safety and that sense of abundance and that sense of not that sense of joy, that sense of ease, all of those things are happen without the money, without the body, without the relationship. All those things are an inside job. And once you do that, it doesn't, honestly, I wasn't, when I first healed my relationship with money, I I wasn't even making that much money, (laughs) but I, um, yeah, I wasn't even making that much money, but I had that certainty. I had that trust. I had that, um, you know, like I know, and I still know, I I knew then and I know now it doesn't like, it honestly doesn't matter. I know that I can create money. I know that I can attract money no matter what. And I know that I'm always going to be safe. I know that I'm always abundant. And really like, that's why my clients come to me, whether like, no matter how much they're making, I mean, usually it's someone who's hit around six figures, um, who are entrepreneurs at least, but they know that it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter how much they're making. They, they want that certainty. They want that trust. They want that relationship is not, they don't necessarily want to even call in more money. Some of them, some of them do. And, and, you know, a lot of my clients do call in more money, but it's really about that trust is really a building that foundation of, wow, I've healed my relationship with money and I have a strong sense of it. And I know that I'm okay. I know that I'm safe and I don't have to walk around with that guilt and that stress and and that fear anymore. God, so good. Well, we can just (laughs) drop the mic right there because that, I mean, that's just, that puts a bow on everything. And once again, it ties in so beautifully with body image, our relationship with food, and our relationship with life in general. Just all of this is an inside job. If we don't do the work to to really heal these beliefs, to really feel supported from the inside out, to create that happiness and that that trust, um, it's, it's just going to feel like you're swimming against a current. Um, and... I just appreciate you so much. Before we wrap up, can you can you share what you are currently doing right now? All of these experiences and summits and just awesome 
things that you're putting together for everybody. It's just so cool to see. And I'm just like cheering you on, fist pumping, happy dancing, you know, <laughs> I'm so excited for you. So how can, um, how can everybody find you and, and what is going on right now? Just fill everybody in. Yes. Okay. So first you can find me on Instagram at the Renee Reese and so many wonderful things are happening right now. So right now I'm in the midst of a interview series called the worthy and wealthy interview series. And it's for impact driven women of color and allies who want to create more wealth, be fully expressed and revolutionize the personal development industry. And these interviews I've gotten, oh my gosh, Caitlin, I've gotten amazing feedback. People are, I remember some, someone mentioned they don't need usually sign up for summits, but they signed up for this one and they're like, just mind blown. Um, I've gotten, I get several emails a day about people just being, yeah, because they're awesome. (laughs) Honestly, this is a free, free summit. And the guests that you have done interviews with for this and just the knowledge that they're dropping, it's just, I mean, it is so high vibe and worth a lot. So I am, I'm, I couldn't be more happy for you and encouraging for everybody to sign up and they can watch the replay, right? Yeah. That's at worthy and wealthy series.com. You can sign up for the replay period and it's still going on right now. So yeah, you will get to see all the interviews. Um, and we're wrapping up all these amazing interviews with a half day training by yours truly. Um, it's called the worthy and wealthy experience It's going down on October 24th and, um, from 12 to 4 Eastern time. And we're going to be going even deeper into all these topics. We're going to be talking about healing ancestral trauma. We're going to talk about rewriting your money story and owning your worth. Um, you guys are going to hear from some of my clients. I'm going to do a live demo. Um, it's going to be just freaking phenomenal. I'm treating it as I would a live event. So there's going to be a lot of value. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of healing your money story. Um, and we're going to talk about just so many different things and I'm just so excited. It's going to be such a good day. So I'm so excited. Yeah. I, I will be there. I can't wait. I just adore you and I am, I'm so grateful that you came on and took some time to share your story. Truly, this is really powerful. I learned so much and um, I'm just, I'm so appreciative of you, Renee. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest, If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.